So normally I would have um, what might be called a typical or traditional Thanksgiving sermon on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Um, But as I've already mentioned, you know, every Lord's Day is a Thanksgiving service for us. So we can choose to do that or choose not to do that. We, We have great freedom and liberty in that. What I've chosen to do today is to bring definite closure to our sermon series we've had on the Ten Commandments. I'd like a a final word on this law of God that we've looked at for, I think this is the twelfth week. So we've looked at the ten words of God, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And last week we finished number ten on coveting and that we should not covet. And each week we've tried to flesh out what those things mean. And I think it's appropriate maybe to hear a little reminder of what those ten words have said to us. What God has said to his covenant people about who we're to be and how we're to live. So if you'll indulge me for just a moment. We've been reminded that there are to be no other gods in the lives of Christians. There is but one God, and we worship Him. We've been told in the Decalogue that we're to have no idols. We're not ever to pretend to fashion something with our hands that we would worship or look to for some kind of benefit or blessing. And we should never seek to fashion an image of the one true God, as that would only be insulting to Him. For the great Creator to be created by our hands is a great insult to the living God. And we're told in the Ten Commandments, number three, that we are not to misuse that holy name of God. We're to show it reverence with our tongues and in the way that we live. And we were reminded that we can take the the Lord's name in vain in how we live our six days of labor in the world. And we were cautioned in that. We were reminded that God's people have been given one day in seven where our lives come to stillness for the purpose of worship. We don't do our six days of labor, but we rest in the Lord, we worship Him, and we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that it would not be like the other six days. And then God's Word reminded us that we're to honor our parents our fathers, our mothers, for as long as they live, for as long as we live, we honor authority, God-given authority in our lives, and we respect it to the grave. We're reminded that God's people don't murder each other. They don't kill one another. We protect human life. We see it as sacred. we were reminded and commanded that God's people don't commit adultery. We understand the blessing of marriage and sexuality within the covenant of marriage. And we understand the call to sanctify that. We understand that we're not to steal the possessions of others. We're not to use our influence, our strength, or our ability to take from others what is not ours. But we understand personal property and that God has gifted other people with possessions. And we're not to take them. And then we were commanded that we're not to bear false witness. We're to be a truth-speaking people. 
in all that we do, in all that we say, and in how we live, our lives are to bear testimony to truth in everything. And then last week, we were commanded that we're not to be a covetous people. We're to be content with God's gifts in our lives and not look at other people's lives and say, I wish I had that. I wish God had been better to me. But we're to find our contentment in God and in His calling and His gifts in our lives. Ten simple words, ten commandments that God has said This is my own character. This is who I am. And then God tells his covenant people, those he's freed from bondage, now go and be those kinds of people in the earth. Right? This is what it is to truly be human. This is what it is to live as a redeemed people, not as the world lives, but as the church should live. And this is a right use of the law of God. So those are the things that we've considered for the last 10 plus weeks. And this morning, in the way of a definite conclusion, I want to conclude with what I hope will be a clear word and even a short word. This sermon is designed to be a little shorter than usual because we do have that congregational meeting after the service where many words will be spoken. So hopefully a shorter sermon, but a definite conclusion on how Christians, those who are in Christ... View the law of God. What's the right use of this law in my everyday life? And so this morning, here's the last talk. Here comes the boom. Here comes the boom. How the badness of the bad news reveals the goodness of the good news. Bad things are said first that good things might be appreciated And understood. And so our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23. It's in the badness of the bad news that we find the goodness of the good news. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray for God's understanding of his word. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you 
would be our teacher. That your spirit would accompany your word as you have promised it would. And that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to believe true things and to live accordingly. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've heard uh, it said, I've got bad news and I've got good news. Which do you want to hear first? Has anyone ever said that to you? I've got, honey, I've got bad news and I've got good news. Which, which do you want to hear first? Kids, I've got bad news. I've got good news. Which do you want to hear first? So I remember as a school-age child sitting in a classroom, and I don't remember what grade it was, but this teacher saying to the class, I've got bad news and I've got good news. The bad news is no one of you, none of you, passed the test. The good news is I've curved the test. So some of you who have failed will pass. Not all of you will. But for some of you, you will pass though you failed. Now that almost sounds like its own parable of the Christian life, doesn't it? Maybe we'll preach on that another day. But bad news and good news sometimes goes in that order for us. And sometimes we'd rather hear the bad news so that we can have the release and the escape and the comfort of good news. Well, that's really what is happening in our passage this morning. And I think it really is how we understand the law of God, this Decalogue. The badness of the bad news that we must be told reveals the goodness of the good news when we hear it. The badness of the bad news makes the goodness of the good news sweet. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you understand that? Without hearing the harshness, the badness, the condemnation, the judgment of the law, we would really never know how sweet the gospel is and the relief that it offers sinners. And so this morning, a few brief points that I hope will uh, shape our understanding as we as we close the series on the law and the Ten Commandments, my hope is that this will help it to be a constant part of your life and your family as you reflect on the gospel and the truth of it. So my first point is this. The bad news first. The Word of God must break us. The Word of God, the law of God, the commands of God must first break us because we are all lawbreakers, every one of us. And so we need to hear the bad news. We have to be told, God has to reveal to us, you're a lawbreaker. You fall short of a righteous standard. You don't meet it. That's the bad news. Do you believe it? Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 29 says this. The Lord says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Think of that imagery. God's word is like fire. It consumes. It destroys. His word is like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. And that really is an image of ministry of how God ministers to the stony, hard heart 
that you and I have. Something has to soften that stony, cold heart. Something has to crush and break that hard heart. And that is precisely what the Lord Jesus is doing here with the rich young ruler. This story is so packed and, and so, such a blessing to those in ministry um, for a couple of reasons. The first is this. This rich young ruler, this rich young man comes to Jesus with respect and says, Good teacher, good man, I respect you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in evangelism, that would be called low-hanging fruit. Somebody actually comes to you and asks the ultimate question, right? We wish that this was how ministry played out all the time. So this man comes to Jesus. He asks the ultimate question, the great question, what must I do to be saved? And what does Jesus do? He recites the law. He summarizes the law. And he says, you know the commandments, and he recites many of them. And Jesus, in doing that, intends to establish a standard of righteousness. That this is who you're supposed to be to inherit eternal life. But that young man has a mistaken view of himself that must be broken. His mistaken view of himself is what? Oh, I've kept all those since I was a little boy. I'm in. I'm in the kingdom. I've, I've got eternal life. And the passage says, here comes the boom. Jesus is going to clarify that standard of righteousness and tell him the truth with grace. And the passage says that Jesus looked at this young man who honestly thought he was the, a perfect law keeper since he was a little boy. And the passage says Jesus looked at him and what? Groaned? No. He looked at him and threw his arms up in the air and sighed? No. Jesus threw something in disgust? No. These are all the things we might do. The passage says that Jesus looked at this young man, this rich young man who seemingly has it all together, and he loved him. Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. And we don't know exactly what that looked like. If it was a, if it was a little warm smile, maybe a little head shake, kind of like a, you really think you've kept the law since you were a boy? It says, Jesus looked at the young man and loved him and said, one thing you lack. This is where Jesus brings the boom. Jesus tells him the truth. Go and sell everything that you have. And give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. And when that boom comes, it says that the man's face fell. Which is to say, you've seen someone's face fall, right? Uh, maybe their, their football team is winning and it looks like they're going to win the game. And then at the very end, there's a touchdown with the last play of the game. And all that joy goes to desperation. The face Falls, And it says that in hearing, go and sell and give away everything that you have, the man's face fell because he was a rich man with many possessions, and that's where his real heart was. I've got stuff, I've got security, I'm in a good place, but somehow, even though I have so much, I still feel empty, 
I need to know that I have eternal life. I need to have peace with God. I need to have peace with my neighbor. So tell me, good teacher, what's the one thing I still lack? And Jesus drives to the heart of who the man really is and reveals to him, you love your possessions. You love the gifts of God, not the one who has given them to you. And with this, the man's face falls. He's devastated. The boom has struck him. And he goes away sad because he's not willing to part with his possessions. I want to highlight this morning the beauty and the grace of Jesus telling the truth to this man. Jesus didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. Jesus didn't give him a a strategic answer that maybe encouraged him to come back later. Jesus just told him the truth. And only Jesus can do that perfectly, right? You and I can't do this. But Jesus speaks the truth and he does it with grace and he's willing for a man's face to fall. He's willing to bring the boon and to tell the truth even when it hurts. We live in a very fragile culture and we are very fragile people. We are so easily broken in our culture. But we have to know our brokenness And not defend our brokenness, not deny our brokenness. Jesus says his word will break us. It will show us that we are utterly nothing. That's the badness of the bad news for you and for me. We don't have it all together. We're not great. We haven't kept his command since we were little boys and girls. We've broken them since the day that we were born. That's the badness of the bad news. And in our resume-building culture, it can be hard to admit that. We want to admit that we've got it all together. Look at me. Look how impressive. But it's through the badness of the bad news that we understand the goodness of the good news. The good news comes second. Point number two. When the word of God, when the law breaks us, then the gospel begins to remake us. Once broken, once we understand that we are sinners, then we'll come to Jesus as the shepherd and savior of sinners. Psalm 147, verse 3. Speaking of God, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You see, that which He breaks with the hammer of His word, He alone can restore and bind up and heal. God shows mercy and grace to sinners. And and in the Decalogue, we know that he does it through a substitute law keeper, one who did perfectly keep the law for us, one who did everything properly fulfilling God's holy and righteous standard. And all of this speaks to our third point, which is our pursuit of peace. Every one of us has this restlessness inside that God's grace must reveal. It's this restlessness for peace. We want peace in our lives. We want peace in our families, peace in our relationships, peace with our neighbors. Ultimately, we want peace with God. And that's what made this rich young man so restless. He had many possessions and many things that this world would say will give you peace, But he apparently lacked peace. 
And he was pursuing peace. And when we heard the answer of how to attain peace by letting go of the world's pleasures, he was not so interested in Jesus anymore. Now, I want to close this series and really try to crystallize three things. If you are a parent of a child, my hope is that these might be three talking points that over lunch, on the way home, in your family time tonight, whatever you do, here are three things for you to talk about with them or for every one of us to chew on ourselves. And it all starts with this word law. Uh, The word in the Bible is namas, and it means law. And so there are three words. These are the three words I want us to walk away with. The response to God's law, the first is this. It's to be a nomian. That is to be a legalist. That's what the rich young ruler was. I've kept God's law since I was a little boy. He was a legalist. He was a nomian. He thought he loved God's law. He thought God's law worked for him because he could fulfill it. And the error of nomianism, the error of legalism, is revealed in the story that we've read. At the end of the day, the legalist thinks he's fulfilled God's word. He is numb to the fact that it is breaking him and condemning him. He thinks he's better than everybody else because he honestly believes or she believes, hey, I've kept God's law. I'm a good person. I'm better than all these other people out here. Right? That's the nomian. That's the legalist. That's the target of this specific story in Jesus' ministry that he gives us. But there's a second error of misunderstanding the law, and that is antinomianism against the law of God. And the antinomian of our day is the one, even within our circles in the Presbyterian Church of America, is the one who concludes, you know what? God's law doesn't matter anymore. It's obsolete because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And so the law means nothing to me anymore. And that is as equal an error of understanding the law of God as is nomianism. It's just falling off the horse on the other side, right? Those of you who have horses know that there are, I guess, two sides of a horse that you can fall off on. One is nomianism, one is antinomianism. Let me give you someone else's words and not my own. Consider this quote from Sinclair Ferguson, and I think we have it for you. Antinomianism and legalism are not so much antithetical to each other as they are both antithetical to grace. This is why Scripture never never prescribes one as the antidote for the other. Rather, grace, God's grace in Christ, is our union with Christ. It is the antidote to both. So which side of the horse are you falling off on? Are you falling off on the nomian side that says, I'm a law keeper and I'm tired of all these other people who don't get it and don't keep the law. I've been keeping the law since I was a little boy. Are you the legalist? Are you the one who thinks you can justify yourself through the law? Or are you the antinomian? 
who has said, there's no instruction for me in the law. Jesus fulfilled that for me. God doesn't care about my character, my faith, the kind of person that I am. I got freedom in Christ, right? Those are two equal errors that don't understand the law of God. Elsewhere, Sinclair Ferguson says this, there is only one genuine cure for legalism. It's the same medicine the gospel prescribes for antinomianism. And that is understanding and tasting union with Christ Jesus himself. You see that? There are two sides of the horse, two errors that you and I tend to fall off on. And they are both wrong. They are both dangerous. Neither understands the grace of the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ. So what's the right way? Is there a third way? I think there is. And so I'd like to introduce you to this term for you to think about and for you to talk to your children about. Let's call it gospel nomianism. Viewing the law through the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for his church. And the simplest summary of that would be this. Christ is the one true law keeper. He justifies us by grace through faith in him. And now he sanctifies us with the law. Conforming us more and more to his likeness as renewed law keepers. Do you understand the difference of that? Seeing the law as this is who God is calling me to be in Christ Jesus. And by the Spirit of God empowering us with newness of life, we now look at the law and we're not condemned by it, but we're now called to embody that, to seek to embody it more and more as we live as God's, as God's people in the earth. And we don't do it perfectly. We fail constantly. But every morning we get up and say, there is a spirit of God at work in me. The law is no longer my master, my judge, my condemnation. I am in Christ. And now he is calling me to be like him in the earth. And I've told you before, if you want a verbal picture a verbal representation of who Jesus is. It's the Ten Commandments. That's who He is. It's a verbal portrait, a verbal description of who the Son of God is, who perfectly fulfilled the law and now calls us to be like Himself. That is gospel nomianism. It's seeing the law in Christ and through Christ and knowing this is who God wants me to live as in the earth. This is who what God wants my children to be in the earth. I've given you two quotes already, and I'm actually going to close with a third. And this is a poem. And I'm not a poetry guy at all. But years ago, when I was studying the Ten Commandments, I came across this poem. And the author of it is actually Ralph Erskine for our Erskine students and faculty. Two Erskine brothers, Ebenezer Erskine, the older brother, Ralph Erskine, the younger brother. This is a poem on the Ten Commandments that Ralph Erskine wrote, and it's correct there, it's incorrect on my sheet. 
Here's his poem about understanding the law of God. And I think this is beautiful. This is my conclusion to the series. Bonus points for anybody who memorizes this. Okay? It'll be a blessing to you. Here's the summary of the law. A rigid master was the law. Demanding brick, denying straw. But when with gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Now what does that mean? Chew on that for a second. A rigid master was the law, the Ten Commandments. Demanding bricks while denying straw. You remember the picture of of Israel in bondage in Egypt? Demanded to produce bricks, but not given straw, which made it this impossible task. Who could do this? This is so impossible. That's what the Ten Commandments, when we're not in Christ, are like. They break us. They condemn us. There's no hope for us. It's like being demanded to make bricks without straw. But when with gospel tongue, when given gospel truth, when accompanied, when the law is accompanied with gospel truth, it bids me to fly, it, it calls me to fly, it commands me to fly, and it gives me the wings to do it. Do you see the beauty of that? So the law is transformed in our understanding from something that either we wrongly think we've fulfilled on our own, or that we want nothing to do with, to now becoming, this is who I can be in Christ. This is the kind of person that God's calling me to be, and there is hope for change in me, because the Holy Spirit and sanctification are true and are real. It bids me fly, and it gives me the wings to do it. That's the good news of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, And how it works by and with the word of God in our hearts. First it breaks us. Then it remakes us. First it breaks us. Then it remakes us. Have you been broken? Are you being remade? That's the ultimate question that the Ten Commandments demand of every one of us. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the promise of justification in Christ and sanctification by the Spirit. Lord, would you show us the beauty of living by grace through faith that we really can change, that we do not have to be dominated by sin, but you really do empower your people to walk in newness of life to become more like Jesus, even more like the law and all of its holiness. Lord, would you keep us humble that we would not be these nomians, these legalists that live in our own hearts. And Lord, would you enable us to not live so loosely as to be antinomians, pretending that your law has nothing to do with us. But Lord, may the gospel be at the very center of who we are, what we do, and how we live. And we ask it and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.